Welcome to Be the Wolf. This is Varg Freeborn, your host for the Be the Wolf show, where we talk about violence, training, conditioning, etiquette, and all things required to be a leader and truly own your position in this world. Today's episode, I'm going to try to cover a couple of interesting topics that have been coming up lately. Namely, uh, principle-based versus technique-based training and fighting and learning. Something that uh, I've been using in my own uh, teaching methods and training methods for quite a while. And it's becoming a point of interest uh, to people who have trained quite a bit and they're seeing this as a new approach when it's really not a new approach so we're going to talk about that Um, I'm going to talk about ROI return on investment and why that is one of the strongest factors that separates the low order from the high order criminal Um, what that really means and why it's important to understand that too Uh, And lastly, I'm going to try to get to knife defense. It's a very popular topic um, when I'm around. So I would like to see um, more comments about that leaning towards being realistic and common sense and understanding the legal repercussions of using a knife on someone inside of the United States. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, The first thing I would like to say is that I have been out of the loop for a little bit due to having done about 150 hours of training in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I spent quite a time in Alliance and I didn't come up for air until just recently and then I had some family business to attend to so it was quite a busy time for me. Um, I did CQB, CQB operations. And went straight into CQB Instructor with Alliance Police and and Forge. Uh, That was phenomenal instruction. Uh, Wonderful opportunities. If you get any opportunity to train um, CQB, I suggest that you do it with Forge Tactical, which is Chappie and Spears, or and or um, Joe Wire at the Alliance Police Training Facility. Um, That particular CQB system is very intuitive, to me at least. Um, It makes a lot of sense, and it really does flow when you get a a lot of guys that are are up to speed and understand the system. Um, You can flow through a structure really quickly without moving fast, if that makes any sense. Um, So that's where I've been for a couple of weeks, and uh, I've been extremely busy. And then, of course, I ended that couple of weeks with... uh, my class at Alliance, which was my uh, debut class at Alliance, um, and it was a kick-ass weekend. We had close fighting and concealment pistol, um, which was dealing with some basics of combatives uh, for for in close and um, and also some pistol work for in close. What we found is that most of the attendees had no background in fighting whatsoever, no martial arts training or anything, had very little understanding of force production and um, footwork and absorbing impact or delivering impact uh, were very foreign concepts to them physically. So um, that was a lot of fun to work with guys and watch them have like all kinds of aha moments when it's like, oh, if if I just drop my body weight into this step I can actually produce an exponentially higher amount of force against this person and that's uh, very cool to watch happen we had Shane Mason come out and help teach the grappling part Shane's been um, coaching wrestling for many years and he's a phenomenal wrestler um, a very very quick and athletic guy and uh, extremely knowledgeable about grappling so and it's nice to get somebody that's not jujitsu. I'm a real big fan of uh, getting outside of jujitsu, and because there's a lot of really good stuff out there, and jujitsu has so dominated the market 
that we're forgetting a lot of other good information. So I really like to pull that in sometimes and remind people there's other things out there that really work and uh, can be very simple to do uh, that you don't need years to to master. Uh, so just a couple of decent principles and you can pull off some some interesting things that aren't you know technically um, advanced, I would say. Uh, so principle based versus technique based. I had this question. Um, this came up in the class, a lot of the classes that I teach, but this came up in particular this weekend because I've had uh, some people come into the classes that I've trained a lot with other instructors and, uh, and they notice that my approach is very different. And there's a reason for that, obviously. Um, when you are, are talking to someone who has done a lot of fighting or has done extreme uh, violence, uh, and they're talking about what's important to learn for violence, that's, some, that's, that's a priority list you should pay close attention to. People prioritize based upon experience. Um, and so if somebody's been in some fights and been in some real shit and they, and they lay out their priorities in terms of what's important to learn, that's something to pay attention to because they've learned those, they've learned that priority list from doing this thing. Okay. That taught them what's really important. So in other words, a lot of times you'll find out that when you're going into uh, a training system or, or into uh, some type of a martial system, you'll, you'll learn some things and then you go to the, um, the, uh, actual, like a match or somewhere where you're going to apply these things. And then you realize that, uh, some of what you learned really wasn't how it works. You need to, you need to go work on something else harder that you're missing. Um, that's prioritizing by experience. And for people that have actually been in a lot of fights, um, prioritizing by experience is something that, that is, is very natural. You, you learn very quickly what's important to know and what's not as important to know. So principles, um, I basically teach off of the, um, the simple form of martial principles that everything that I, that I do, I want it to adhere to these principles. Uh, that is time, efficiency, stability, mobility, and strength. Those are basically the five martial principles. I have one more that's do no harm, meaning don't add harm to the situation. In other words, you're accountable for your accuracy. Don't pull your gun out in the restaurant if you're going to shoot innocent people and you can't hit your target, that kind of shit. That's, that's that sixth principle of do no harm. Uh, do not add harm to the situation by being a shitty fighter, basically. But the five main martial principles have to do with just reaching an objective. The objective in a fight, the basic objective in a fight, is to improve your position and worsen your opponent's position. That's really the basic objective. We have to simplify this and make this something that's understandable and, and something that can be learned rather quickly by the average person. We have to come to terms with the fact that the average person that's going to come to classes isn't going to pursue a high art, or and they're not going to spend years pursuing this high art. Um, they don't. They've they've got families. They've got uh, jobs and and a lack of of you know extra cash to throw at this kind of stuff. Especially in today's world, unfortunately, the the MMA and jiu-jitsu gyms that dominate self-defense are $200 and up a month. And the average person has sometimes a hard time coming up with that, especially if you have kids and other things you got to deal with. Um, $200, $300 a month is just not feasible um, for, for a lot of people. The thing is, is that 
we need to take a look at it from another angle and think, well, what can we do for simplicity's sake to help the average person start to understand how to actually fight without teaching them the complex art system? Um, and the biggest thing I think is to realize that, you know, when we were fighting, um, and I say we in terms of, uh, where I grew up and how I grew up and, and criminals and prison and all this, you know, the, the real stuff, the real fighting, uh, when we were fighting, we were learning by fighting. Um, this is something that's very important. I know, uh, Roy Miller talks about, we learn by playing and talking about like uh, other predators, how, when they're cubs or they're young, they'll play with each other and fight. And that's, that's fine. Uh, that's like rolling on the mat and, and stuff like that. But honestly, you'd learn by doing. The criminal learns by doing. You learn fighting by fighting. That's why sometimes the criminal is looking for a fight. They're not just looking to have a, a supreme advantage on you. They want to get the fight under their belt. They want to dominate you. They they have some type of a of a of a need for an increase in experience, an increase in in rank from street cred, an increase in effectiveness due to uh, understanding better how to fight. Uh, these things are only come from fighting, and they understand this instinctively. We need to understand this instinctively too. Uh, and now I'm saying we on the other side of the fence, as in the good guys that don't have this type of experience. So you need to understand this, that experience comes from experience. Doing something is what is, is, becomes the greatest teacher. That's why in the criminal world, violence is very high. Uh, and there's a, a high amount of effectiveness with a lot of these guys because of the amount of experience they have doing it. They have more experience than you. I don't care how much time you spend rolling on a mat. It's not going to make a difference in terms of really, really knowing true violence. So you can increase your chances. You can um, help to understand how that part of the fight works. But there's other parts of the fight that you just don't, you just don't get from a technique system. And those are based on principles. Those are the variables that you cannot predict. So every single move you learn in a gym requires your opponent to be in a specific or close to a specific position for that to work or that to happen. We can talk about that being likely in a lot of cases. And there are some times when the opponent feeds you an arm or feeds you their neck, and um, that's that's going to work, right? But principles are always there. They're not they're not in they're not dependent upon circumstances. They're not dependent upon variables being in in a certain order or being in a certain place in a certain time principles apply across the board leverage always is leverage your the importance of you maintaining a strength position a strong position of strength that's always there the ability to produce force placing your feet where you can produce force or absorb impact is always there so these are these are principles that apply no matter what the opponent is doing or what's going on around you, these are, are are things that you can always seek to accomplish no matter what. And once you start to understand them, then you can go after that fighting in that sense. This is how we learned, right? I've, I've sat and thought for a long time for all the fights that I've been in, how did I learn that? Uh, how did I know, you know how to steer the body? Um, how do I know, you know, how to push maximum force using my legs and my weight and dropping into my, dropping into my steps and, you know, s slamming downward into an opponent rather than just rushing forward. Um, these are things that just come natural after you fight, you start to realize like, uh, this isn't working, so I have to do something different. And then you just become 
naturally inclined to position yourself in a position of, of uh, superior leverage or superior strength or superior mobility if that's all you've got uh these are things that really matter and when i teach on the range i talk about all the different techniques and the different drills and things that you learn all across the board you can always sit back and say does this end up with me in a position of strength does it end up with me in a position where I have good stability in most directions uh, as possible? Does it end up with me in a, in a position where I have good mobility in most directions as possible? Um, is this minimizing my time out of the fight? And is it the most efficient thing I could be doing? You can take those five things and question the task that you're, that you're learning or, or trying to do. And figure out pretty quickly that some of the stuff that that you know you see out there doesn't really pass muster with those. Uh, a lot of the like for you know, and, and, and this is just to beat a dead horse, but for example, isosceles um, isosceles doesn't work in a fight. You can't punch very effectively from isosceles. You cannot defend a punch very effectively from isosceles so why start your fight in isosceles um so your shooting is a little bit faster uh on a plate rack from isosceles what's more important in a fight stability mobility and strength or being able to shoot a plate rack so if we're going hands-on at any point in time uh you need to be in a position to fight hands-on and apply the principles of strength mobility and stability uh, and this is just an example. So you can look at that and say, if the fight went hands-on right now, would I be in a position of strength? And, and would I be in a position of, of stability and front to back and side to side? The answer in that case would be no. Side to side, maybe. Front to back, no. Um, and mobility, front to back, you, you have to add a step to, to launch yourself instead of just launching off of your rearmost leg. Uh, so these are things you can test. Um, and I don't, you know, it's never been a thing if I, you know, I don't attack other instructors, what they, what they teach, uh, individually, you know, by person or whatever, but I do teach the things that I, that I have come to teach over the years because of priorities based on experience. And I think it's, it's more beneficial for the average person to understand principles and begin to learn principles than it is to learn this unending stream of techniques and specific moves that are based on specific circumstances. I just don't believe in that. Having been in a lot of fights, I don't believe that's productive. Do I believe that that could be a system over 20 years that you could master? Absolutely. I'm, I'm sure that if somebody dropped you off on on Okinawa and you lived in a master's house, um, that you would come back and be, in 10 years, you'd be a phenomenal fighter. I'm sure. However, most people are not going to do that. I, I've only known one person in my life that discharged from the Marines and lived in Okinawa for six years at the master's house, and uh, that was Terry Garrett who was uh, six Dan in Okinawa and uh who I trained under for a short time. And he was a phenomenal uh, fighter, very, very tough guy, grew up in downtown Chicago uh, and then went to the Marines and then went to Okinawa. So that experience combined made him a, an extremely deadly guy. And I think he was pretty much there before he joined the Marines. Uh, he's, he grew up in a rougher part of Chicago and he took a lot of shit, um, as a kid and, and he had fought a lot. So by the time he made it to the Marines, uh, he was already an experienced fighter that understood the principles of fighting. Then, then going on to learn a system was much easier for him. That is part of the point that I'm driving at. Principles are always there and they're universal and they apply across the board. We had an experience in the class this past weekend uh, at Close Fighting Concealment where I just called Shane up and said, hey, 
you come out, me and Shane worked together in my gym when I had my gym open. Um, we've worked together enough to know that we don't even need to communicate because we both understand the principles. So nothing that I teach a student is ever going to contradict with what Shane teaches them because we understand the underlying principles, if that makes sense. So I told Shane um, this past weekend, I said, hey, just take them and and take them. We're going to split the groups. I'll take half, you take half over there, and just show them two basic uh, moves that will work in the clinch or in a close fight. And he's like, okay, cool. And so we did that. And I honestly was so wrapped up in my group, whichever group I had at the time, that uh, I had no idea what moves Shane had. I didn't even pay attention to what Shane was teaching because I had full trust in him. And plus I was busy with my guys talking about weapon retention and uh, striking. So we get done and we're back in the classroom and uh, one of the students says, you know, it amazes me how um, how much the two of you mesh together. You guys really, you know, the lessons today were like so, like they streamlined into each other. And I said, well, I'll tell you a secret. Uh, we didn't talk about that. And I still have no idea what Shane showed you. So I don't know what you're talking about. I'm sure that they do because I know Shane and we've taught together before. But I don't know specifically what he showed you today and uh they were like blown away by this they're like oh my god how does this happen like you guys didn't even talk and you both talked about attacking the ribs and you both talked about you know this placing your feet this way or doing this thing this way and i explained i said that you know the things that you're the things that you're talking about are based on principles that are universal that are always there because Shane has done a tremendous amount of contact and I've done a tremendous amount of fighting and we both understand the principles underneath what, what we're trying to accomplish at any given time for that objective of improving our position and worsening the opponent's position. We don't need to communicate after that. We just know that whatever we do is going to be geared towards specifically improving our position while worsening the opponent's position via these principles of strength, mobility, stability, time, and efficiency. So it was an interesting, um, it was an interesting conversation and it, and it was great to see the, the light bulb go off on the, uh, on the class's consciousness. And they really started to see how, how the principles are universal and they apply all the time. And it takes away the specificity of technique, which really starts to take away the confusion of training. Um, Training doesn't need to be this thing that it's morphed into. Uh, It really doesn't. And I'm saying this, you know, that I know that there's going to be some disagreement and probably some hatred coming from the Internet. But uh, I don't care because I've done a lot of fighting and I've put a lot of holes in guys. And uh, I've had some holes put in me. And I've watched a lot of people go down. I've watched quite a few people get put in the ground. And I'm telling you right now that principles apply across the board. And very, very, very seldom, I can't even recall a time that I've ever seen um, a, a specific technique used in a real lethal force level fight, except for uh, a seatbelt throw where somebody got killed. Uh, I've seen that. Um, and again, that's a wrestling move. Uh, so, you know, it was a switch and a seatbelt throw and the guy cracked his shit on the, on the, on the concrete. And that was it. It was game over. And that was a, that was a very specific move that, that, which is one of the things that we teach that Shane would teach, you know? Um, but my point is, is that in all the fights that I've seen, I've, I can only name like one real technique I've seen used. Uh, and not that the stuff that you learn won't work and not that, you know, you should ever be discouraged from going to jujitsu or going to boxing or going to anything. Cause I think you should do those things a hundred percent. As long as you're building the physical capability in your chassis to actually do it. So in other words, don't just go roll on the mat and, and, you know, and lift weights uh, make sure that you're using, you know, explosiveness, you're building explosiveness and you're building 
the the actual cardio, not just rolling on the mat because that's not cardio. I know a lot of people think it is, but I've done both, and I've trained in the boxing gym, and I've I've trained in, in on the mat, and I'm telling you right now, rolling on the mat, while strenuous, it is not cardio. So balance yourself out and don't get stuck in in you know one method or one technique. But um, getting back to principles, the the situation with principles is that it brings in a it brings a simplicity to training that people need I really think people need it having trained a lot like hundreds of people in um, firearms over the last you know few few years hundreds of people a year and then and I'm not saying anything I know there's guys that train thousands a year and I'm not it's that's irrelevant what I'm saying is I've seen enough to know what I what I what I'm concluding is true. Um, people need a, a, a certain simplicity to training. This needs to happen rapidly uh, and, and increasingly. There has to be a level of understanding that's not intimidating to the average person. Especially the person who's never fought. This is the one demographic that I worry about the most and the one that I try to help the most. They come to my classes and they've never been in a fight. They've never, some of them have never even used power tools, which is, it's, it's nothing against you, but drilling holes and using a hammer is very, very close to, you know, pushing against someone and punching someone. Like there's, there's principles there that apply and how to produce force. Like you don't, you wouldn't stand and 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 push against the drill with no with no stability rearwards. You have to have some force production coming from the ground slightly behind you, pushing through your body into the drill. You know, these are things you just you you realize when you start to run power tools and stuff. There's just manual labor has a thing that's very the principles are very close to fighting. Um, and when I see people that come through that have never done manual labor, that have never done any fighting, that have never trained in any martial art or martial discipline, these are the people that need the most help. And I think that as they've reached their 20s, 30s, 40s without any experience, like now is not the time to say you need to go and learn this martial art and, and, and achieve a belt and you need to, you know, Cheering semi-pro and boxing or you need to do this or that like that's not the time to say that uh, they've 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 reached this point in their life where they have jobs and they have you know you've got all this stuff going on we need simplicity and simplicity is is really based in in principles again everything that i talk about always try to imagine a mirror of it for the criminal this isn't we don't live in a binary world where it's us and then there's the criminal doing this separate thing this is a process that both of us take and I've walked on both sides of this so I know what I'm talking about when I tell you that both sides take the same track one thing that the criminal does not have is this overarching compulsion for training in a martial art or system uh, and, and being concerned about specific techniques they they are always simple not that they don't get deep into tactics because they do but in terms of strategy and tactics they spend a lot of their time there but actual technique and physical tasks are not that big in the consciousness that that clogs everything up that would not that would not be tolerated in the criminal mind because there's too much there's too much to think about in terms of strategy return on investment and tactics so simplicity is basically created by doing you're doing it and you and these principles become second nature to understand these and what I mean by that is uh, if you get into your first fight ever and say you're in kindergarten and the kid understands 
force production better than you and he gives you a drop step push and it's really hard and it kind of snaps your neck and hurts your shoulder and you fall down backwards. The next time you square off with someone, are you going to be thinking about that? Probably. Probably. You might not get it, but you're going to be remembering that experience. Uh, And so the next time, will you allow yourself to be caught off guard with your feet on line with each other where you could be easily pushed back off of your balance? Or will you place a foot rearward and be ready to meet force with force? Maybe that's the case. In in a lot of cases, that's how that progression takes place. And so then, from that point, you become this person who understands force production in a way that's very intrinsic. It's not taught to you. You've learned it by being put on your ass. And then you didn't want to get put on your ass anymore, so you get up and you put a foot behind you. And then you understand he did it, so now you know you can do it. And then you give it a try and you're not that good at it. Pretty soon you understand how to put your weight into it how to use the mass of your body and momentum to create the shock on their body. So <clears throat> that's basically this process taking place over and over and over throughout your life. The criminal understands this very early because you engage in this uh, behavior from the very start. And in extremely violent environments like I grew up in, you you learn this intrinsic type of understanding of its intuitive understanding of of the principles of if I don't have leverage I'm going to get knocked on my ass it's a basic concept most people don't well how do I create leverage let me show you I'm going to knock you on your ass until you understand don't let me knock you on your ass anymore that's how you learn and then when you know it you know it right Um, and this is just basic stuff so when we put together drills with with firearms, it's no different for me. Everything that I do adheres to two sets of things. On one side, it adheres to the martial principles, and we test the, the, the task by questioning, does it adhere to each one of those? On the other side, it adheres to the rules of engagement of the mission, which is, you know, legally, am I, am I staying within... The, the laws of the land that I'm in. I think that's extremely important as an instructor, uh, especially coming from the experience that I come from. I push that hard, more so than anyone else, understandably. The point being is that we have a simple system for testing what we do. We can show you why it works this way. I can take you, I had someone question why is my retention shooting so different than everyone else's? And then I take you over and show you, number one, you have a lot more accuracy control <clears throat> and speed. Number two, we walk over with blue guns and I show you how you can stay in control of driving the train even if they get a hold of your gun in this retention position, whereas in other retention positions, it's much harder to keep your footing and, and drive the train. They, the opponent, becomes the uh, conductor of the train, which is bad. We need to be worsening his position, improving ours, even when we get into trouble. <clears throat> so that is the important part of putting a methodology together or learning a methodology for fighting or defending yourself is to keep it simple like the criminal does. Same thing with equipment. Um, I've told this story several times that when we were kids, um, and most of the most of the people that I knew that grew up that I grew up with carry a handgun, Mexican style, no holster, AIWB. That was that was the way it was done, uh, and and most of the killing and, and horrible violence that I seen go down was committed by people in uh, jeans and a t-shirt so the lack of all of the equipment the EDC equipment the the knives you know sticking out of every pocket and the Karen bits and the the clinch picks and all the special shit and all this you know uh, tactical p- pouches and pockets and you know all this stuff the criminal does a tremendous fuck ton of damage without any of that shit Right, there are people killed and slayed every single day 
everywhere in this country by people who have simple tools and simple clothing. Um, simplicity has a has a beautiful thing. Now, can you equip yourself for better advantage? Yes, you can. So I'm not, again, I'm not attacking that. I'm just saying, remember, simplicity does the job. And in most cases, most of the real work that's done on these streets is done with simple equipment. Um, it, it's it's very very bare bones with the criminal. The criminal has more experience with violence. The criminal accomplishes much more damage than you. Uh, obviously, your your moral compass keeps you from having that experience in most cases. However, the result still is that they have a tremendous amount of experience. There's a tremendous amount of data, a tremendous amount of data based on all criminal statistics that say that simplicity works in violence. The criminal uses simplicity all the time. Simple clothing, simple strategy, simple principles applied, simple tools it's 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 a it's a world that's not very complicated and this is for a reason because violence really isn't a complicated topic it's it's based on some principles and you you either adhere to those or violate those and if you violate them you start to get in trouble and you're not improving your position it begins it begins to be worsened this is very simple stuff uh this is why you know that whole learn by doing thing is important. Um, and sometimes the criminal is looking for a fight and people, and this specific question was sent to me today by somebody. Um, you know, what do I think about what some other, um, blogger or podcaster said about, uh, the criminal is never looking for a fight. They always want to win by advantage. That's not necessarily true. You know, I, I lived in a world where, um, the fight was part of, of the process. And, Sometimes the fight is a way to increase effectiveness, rank, uh, and experience. Um, one example I had a <clears throat> last about a year ago. I was in a a restaurant in uh, a little uh, diner in uh, Pennsylvania, and it was Saturday night. I was obviously there just for dinner because uh, it was late and we needed to eat. And I was, you know, I was with a friend, and um, there, but there was some drinking. Uh, people downtown in that area so a couple of dudes came in and they were obviously looking for trouble like seriously looking for trouble uh, mouthed off to a couple people shoulder bumping people and there was one point in time when he was walking down the aisle just looking for somebody to to get into it with I mean he was just testing each dude out to see if you would even make eye contact if you made eye contact then he would he would get in your face, um, and he was a neck tattoo having piece of shit. Like he was the kind of guy that would either kill you or end up dead in a, in an alley somewhere. So he walks by my table, and I knew this kind of guy because I I've dealt with these guys, you know, uh, obviously. Um, and uh, he he comes by and he sees me, look at him for a second. And I immediately um, move my eyes enough to not make contact, but I have him in my peripheral. And he looks at me for a second to see if I'm going to make contact, and I don't. And then he keeps moving because I, I knew that would be the result. Um, I, I was thinking most likely that would be the result. And it was. Uh, he, he went on to look for somebody else. However, um, that showed that that was a criminal looking for a fight. Why was he looking for a fight? Because he feels mean, because he's pissed off at the world, because he didn't have a father, who knows. The reality of it is that he wants that experience. He wants to dominate another human and put that put that notch in his belt that makes him more powerful. Every time you steal a soul, you become more powerful in wizardry terms. Uh, so what that means is every time you beat somebody's ass, you become more confident, more experienced, higher ranking with street cred. Like that's 
that's all things that build upon the orientation of the criminal. The orientation of an effective fighter at the core of it. Um, so, you know, don't be weird about saying uh, something you perceive as positive about a bad person. They, they are effective fighters very often. I have fought several of them that were. Um, so that's my take on it. That's why ambush is more than just a word. Um, advantage versus disadvantage in a fight really means something. Uh, and I teach people that, you know, ambush, you, you, you always seek to want to be the ambusher, not the counter ambusher. And what I mean by that is that, um, if you see a situation developing due to good awareness, you can actually be waiting for them when they make their move. And when they do, you ambush them. Does everybody understand that? That's still a self-defense move, but you have anticipated what they'll do. Now, you can't do this in every circumstance, but I've seen it. I've employed it in a lot of cases, uh, especially walking around the grounds inside of barbed wire fences. Um, you see it coming, and you wait, and you you react, but you react with an action that, that they were not expecting because you knew it was coming. Um that ties in with the whole thing about experience and fighting and effectiveness and and simplicity because of this. You learn by doing. You understand principles. You understand that the criminal sometimes needs to fight because you learn by doing. You understand that ambush is something that you can employ even if you're on the reactive side. All of these have to do with the the simple principles of fighting and the objective of improve your position and worsen his. Uh, and that's why I like to stay really, really calm and, and really simple and not get lost with big words. I know data is important and, uh, and I do pull data when I need to, but there's no reason for me to sit here and talk with big scientific words and say, you know, critical dynamic fluid, whatever it's a fight. Let's call it a fight. You want to stay on your feet. You need good footwork. You need good fundamentals. Like this is just simple stuff. So that's my take on that. If you got any comments on it, let me know. Um, with that, I'd like to say that uh, return on investment is another topic that's came up recently. It's one of my uh, one of my big determining factors between high order and low order criminals. Um, it's been said that when I talk about high order criminals, um, people really enjoy to hear that, that, uh, topic with me. Return on investment really is the difference. If you take someone who's willing to risk going to jail over killing a store clerk because they were shoplifting some beer and this clerk confronted them and then they got into a confrontation, you know that there's not a really good calculation of return on investment for them. Uh, they're willing to risk the rest of their life in prison ultimately for a 12-pack of beer. That's a pretty low-order mode of thinking right there. The high-order predator is going to understand that they're not going that they're not going to get the juice worth the squeeze if they risk everything for something simple and stupid and and lacking in value uh, so a lot of times you most people escape being a victim of a Howard predator because you are not actually worth it you don't have any value to them. Uh, it, killing you or hurting you or taking something from you, you don't have anything that has that high of a value for them to risk that. So they're going to wait for the bigger hit, something that actually presents an opportunity that's worth the return or worth the effort. The return is worth the effort, rather. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about when I say ROI. Uh, for example, you have the difference between the low order guy that goes in and, and you know shoplifts and, and risks a confrontation there, and the high order guy who will not do any of those things will actually go out of his way to appear 
uh, normal and law-abiding because he wants to accomplish something much bigger like a bank robbery um, or uh, organized criminal empire um, predators working within those and running those understand that you're not going to risk bringing heat on the operation by screwing with some low-level average asshole that's not going to give you anything in return by taking this person out. Uh, but you would risk investigation or getting caught during the confrontation or whatever. So to answer the question that was given to me this week about return on investment ROI and what it means, that's basically it. Uh, yeah, I had a conversation with someone who, in one of my last Violence of Mind classes, who runs uh, um, a children's outreach in somewhere like Hong Kong, I think. Uh, basically, it was it was somewhere like that. So there's uh, mafia, um, Asian mafia operating in that area, and the risk for the children is that uh, they become human traffic uh, commodities in, in either prostitution or forced labor or whatever mainly prostitution uh, so the person who runs this outreach mission is actually kind of in a, in a dangerous position because uh, they could be standing in between um, a, a criminal organization and a very reliable source of large income for them uh, meaning that you protecting some of these uh, kids from these organizations that want to get them and, and, and traffic them this is very real stuff. This this happens every day, especially you know it happens here increasingly more and more. But in other countries, it's it's rampant. Um, it's it's horrible. I've read you know some countries lose a hundred thousand or more women a year to trafficking. Uh, this is uh, this is a terrible problem. And if you're the person that's standing in between, you know a commodity that that's in a, a multi-billion, billion, billions dollars of industry for these criminal empires, then the return on investment for taking you out could be pretty high. So being an average guy driving down the street doing nothing, um, unless you really hurt one of their um, you know, egos really bad, you're probably not going to have a confrontation with the high-order guy. Now, if you're a cop, that's another story. Um, and a high order guy doesn't need to be somebody that's incredibly smart. It can be somebody that's just really, really capable and, uh, is not going to fight unless, you know, you get it. Uh, it's just like the Jared Reston story. Um, that guy was, a uh, committing a low order crime. Um, and he was a highly capable fighter as Jared found out in which he, you know, successfully defeated him, thankfully, um, you know, and, and as Jared says that the bell rang and he stepped up and he performed and he, he lived. So it doesn't necessarily mean that just because someone's low order, they're not dangerous. They're not, they're not an extremely highly effective fighter. Um, and it doesn't mean because somebody's high order that they're a super highly effective fighter. They could be just really good at ambush or, or assassination. Um, but understand that the motives behind the two are, are very, very different. Like ROI is a big determining factor. And that's all that means. I don't know exactly what that information might be useful to you for, but there it is. That's, that's how I see it based on what I've experienced and the people that I've watched operate. Which brings me to the last... 10 minutes or so, and uh, I'm going to address uh, the knife issue again. Knives in self-defense. This is a topic that's very I'm very passionate about uh, for obvious reasons. I have a lot of experience with knives and fighting with knives and stabbing people and being stabbed. Um, it's, believe it or not, a pretty popular mode of fighting in prison. Uh, it's it's actually quite popular. And uh, again, simplicity with tools. 
homemade homemade weapons have put a lot of people in the ground. So uh, don't feel like you need to have like the fanciest fighting knife out there. Um, but a few points that I will make about it. <clears throat> First of all, no cop anywhere is typically going to roll up on a scene where a dude is laying on the ground pumping blood all over the place and you're standing there completely covered in blood and the cop's going to be like oh it's pretty obvious you're the good guy here so why don't you just go home and get cleaned up and we'll call you if we have any questions that's not how that happens very very seldom is it apparent in a stabbing who was not acting within the law it's it's not always apparent who's the good guy and who's the bad guy there's a lot of blood a tremendous a lot it, it's unbelievable you won't even you, if you're close enough to stab somebody they are close enough to bleed on you and when they do they're going to bleed half of their body's blood onto you and it's unbelievable how soggy sopping soaked you will be in it imagine how that looks when the police roll up um the other reality about it is that it's not like the movies where you stab somebody one time. It fucking doesn't happen like that. Uh, you might get a psychological stoppage, right? But even if you stab somebody directly in the heart, they still take 10, 15, 20, 25 seconds to die. I mean, e- even longer. We've seen videos of this. Even if you've never seen it in person like I have, you... you can watch surveillance videos on live leak and on YouTube of dude getting stabbed in the heart. And then he mauls around a bit for like 90 seconds and then he falls over and dies. Like it's, it's out there, you know, like this is, this is real and you can go and see it for yourself now. Like technology has brought us this tremendous ability to see things in the past and how they went down and exactly how it works so the point is of that statement is that multiple stab wounds will result most people do not realize they've been stabbed for 5 to 10 seconds and even if they do they're not feeling it for 5 to 10 seconds trust me they're not feeling it so in 10 seconds if you stand if you stand and tap somebody uh, take your fist and tap someone at a, at a medium pace for 10 seconds, you'll average about 25 hits. That's 25 stab wounds in your opponent in 10 seconds going at a medium pace, not even a panicked pace, which most times you'll be panicked. At a medium pace, 25 stab wounds. So not only will the police rarely just walk away and not charge you because they have to sort this out. They can't determine who is who, especially if the other guy's incapacitated or dead. So you you have to get run through the system. When you get run through the system, you will have to stand in court and explain why it's reasonable for you to stab someone 25 times. Or 10 times, or 15 times, or 30 times, whatever it is. It's not going to be a reasonable number based on the perspective of most reasonable people, quotation marks, right? It is not, I can tell you from experience, it's not comfortable to stand in court and and try to explain why a reasonable person in my shoes would have stabbed somebody 23 times. There's not a reasonable person in that court that will put themselves in your shoes and make that same determination, because they don't understand violence. They don't understand that people don't fall right away. That that a grown man can take 25, 30, 40 hits and still stay on his feet. And maybe not even realize he's, he's stabbed for the first 10 seconds or 15 seconds. I watched a guy get stabbed 56 times and never, never went down off of his feet. He walked out of that situation. Uh, he went to the infirmary, but he walked out of that situation. 56 stabs right? People in the reasonable position of, of court, prosecutor, judge, um, or jury, they don't understand that. They, they are trained, but there's, they're the same people that think that, uh, cops should shoot people, shoot the gun out of people's hands or shoot them in the leg. You know, like they have the, the ridiculous world view that shit works this way. 
So those are the people you'll be trying to convince, first of all. So we've established that very rarely, unlike a gun, when most people, um, we hear about these every day where people defend themselves with guns, right? And, and no charges are filed. It was like they walk up and the cop's like, yeah, this looks pretty clear cut. The police says, in my my professional opinion, I would have done the same thing you did in this situation. So I'm going to recommend no charges be filed for this. And then the prosecutor looks at it and says, yeah, reasonable to think that I would have done the same thing in that person's position. If this person broke into my house or attacked me in a parking lot with this knife or whatever. Uh, so that happens all the time with guns. People, you don't hear this happen with knives. You do not read stories about people defending themselves with knives and getting able to go home that night and talk to law enforcement officers. Like, it just does not happen. It's very, very, very rare. Very rare for that to happen. Um, Not that it's never happened and it won't happen again, but it's extremely rare and very specific circumstances exist to create that situation. So you will most likely be charged. Uh, You will have a hard time explaining the number of stab wounds because you will have to stab them multiple times. It will not be this thing where you slash, slash, cut, and then the fight's over and everything's cool. It's going to be stab, 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 and just poke, 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 then you're going to get an effect, and then it's going to be too late, because he's going to be all screwed up, and you're going to be soaked in blood, and shit's going to look really bad. I've been there. So, you go to court, now you have to explain, oh, reasonable person in my position would have stabbed him 26 times, your honor, because he just didn't stop. I don't think so, the judge says. I think that you were angry and you lost your temper, and you wanted to kill him, because no reasonable person stabs somebody 26 times unless they want to kill them. And now, that's the rest of your life for the next year or two, right? Judged by 12, and I've talked about this quite a bit, again, based on a Department of Justice commissioned report, 95% plus of state and federal criminal charges in the United States end up in a plea bargain conviction. That's less than 5% that actually go to trial. And some of those end up just being dropped. So it's even less than that. So if you think you're going to go to trial, you're already putting yourself in like the, the, the less than 5 percentile. Plea bargain really starts to make sense because they will charge the shit out of you, right? They will charge you with attempted aggravated murder, which carries 25 years. And then they will tell you, we're going to burn you with the maximum. If you make us take this to trial, you will do 25 years. I guarantee it. And you're sitting there looking at your wife, looking at your kids, and thinking, holy shit, I'm never going to see them again. Because I go in there, and then this shit happens, and I'm there for 25 years, and then I'm like 60 years old, and then some other shit's going to happen. I might have to stab somebody else. Like, I might get killed in there. My wife is obviously going to leave me. Like, somebody else is going to be buying my kids' school clothes. Like, this shit is just, no, I can't do 25 years, you know? And then they come back, and they're like, listen, if you, for the money that you've got, you know, the attorney says, uh, you know, with what you paid me and what you're saying you can pay, I can probably do this. I can get you uh, 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 three to five years, um, and and you'll do the maximum you do five, but you probably get out in three with good behavior. Max you do is five, uh, and you'll be back out, and you won't be that much older, and you'll be able to, you know, get on with your life. That shit starts to sound like it makes a lot of sense when you start thinking about losing because you stabbed somebody 26 fucking times, right? So now you're going and facing a trial where you're going to be losing and getting 25 years or winning and getting nothing, but you've spent 25, 30, 40, 50,000 dollars. Do you have that much money laying around to go to jury trial? Cuz no attorney is going to go to a jury trial 
without getting paid unless you want to do a public defender in a jury trial and be my guest if you can even find one that'll go because most of them will not go the caseload is so wrapped up that they will do everything in their power to dissuade you from doing that um, and you'll have every single person talking to you that will be convincing you that you'll be getting that 25 years if you push this why don't you just take the five years that's why we have a 95 percent plus conviction rate in this country because they charge you with something that carries 25 years, scare the living shit out of you, and then offer you five. Boom. Everybody gets a notch in their belt. You get sent to prison, and you get back out in five years. That's how knife, that's how knife defense works. Uh, the other thing that's important to understand about knives is that um, the type of knife matters. The type of knife matters. I'll share a story with you that I've never shared with anyone before, uh, publicly. After the after my my trial, I didn't go to jury trial. It's just a sentencing, you know. Uh, after the pretrial and the sentencing, and going to prison and being locked up, uh, about a couple, about a year or two years in, year and a half in, I go see the parole board for the for the tail. Right, you could do the small amount of time, or you could do the whole whole time um pro board says why are you carrying a knife and granted i was carrying a knife however it was a grandpa knife it was like a a wooden handled simple folder that you buy for five bucks at a flea market like i'm talking about a simple ass folding knife that had maybe a four inch blade if you were lucky um it was just super plain super plain most dudes would not even carry something like this because they would call it junk um, they tore me apart over that knife. They they did, they said everything under the sun that I carried it because I wanted to kill people. I carried it as a weapon, and I tried to say no. I carry it because it's a utility tool. I open packages with it. I work on cars and pry stuff and cut hoses. Like it really is a tool that I was raised to carry because you need a tool like that in your pocket. And uh, no, I don't believe that. I know mechanics, they don't carry knives. And you carried it because you wanted to kill people. Imagine if I would have had a clinch pick or, you know, some crazy shit like a, like a K-bar or something, you know. There would have been no question. I mean, it would have been unbelievably terrible. Um, so the type of knife matters. If you carry a knife that is built for the purpose of fighting, then there will be no question when you walk into the court that you were carrying a knife for fighting. And I'm telling you that will be used against you. You can take my word for it or not. I'm not here to convince anybody that doesn't want to be convinced. However, I am talking from experience. And I'm not only talking about my own experience, but I know having been put into a place with a lot of other guys that went through similar things, having spent many, many, many days and nights talking about our stories, I know for a fact that other people experience very, very similar things. So the data is there. The statistics is, are, are there. The anecdotal evidence is there. You can take it or leave it, but if you're going to carry a knife for a defensive purposes. Uh, my advice is to carry the most basic type of knife that you can that, that, that looks as much like a utility tool as possible and then understand that you're still going to get told that it wasn't a utility tool. Um, and, and just most of all, understand the, the reality of what happens after you use a knife on, a, on a, another human being in the United States. Uh, and if you don't believe me, go look, go try to find examples. Um, and you just, you just cannot dig up that many examples of people just walking away. You will at the, at the very least go through a, a lengthy and nasty and expensive, uh, court proceeding, legal proceeding. Um, so that's my take on it. That's been brought up a couple times. I know other instructors are teaching people how to fight with knives and I'm not busting on them at all. Fighting with knives is actually a very effective way to fight. I know from experience, I prefer to fight with knives um, rather than fighting with guns 
of course, that's given that the other person doesn't have a gun and they're standing 10 yards from me because then my knife wouldn't do any good. However, if it was up close, I much prefer to fight with the knife. A knife is super effective. I've used one comfortably many times on, on other people. And um, I, I, I don't, I can't think of a more effective fighting weapon, honestly, uh, or one that's scarier. However, there are consequences that come with that. And if uh, I, I would encourage other instructors to, to, to deeply talk about those consequences, because if you're preparing students to go out and slice and dice people, uh, you need to prepare them for what comes after that too. And uh, I don't know if, if you actually can, if you don't know it firsthand, but uh, take some time to gather some data and look at, look at some, some realistic outcomes and um, start passing that information on because uh, it's very, very different than what most people think. It's also more violent. I don't think most people are ready for the level of violence that a knife brings. It's an extremely violent tool. Like, you can't even imagine. It's so violent. Um, you have to really have violence in your heart to like to fight with a knife. Uh, there's no other way about it. You just have to have it in your heart. Anyway, that's run us just a little bit over an hour, and I like to keep these down to an hour. Um, so, I will be moving on. I will try to pick up the pace with uh, podcast material, hopefully... Um, some more, some more episodes coming out this week. I'll try to do, um, not ready to do a regular schedule yet, but I'll try to do them as frequently as possible. I have uh, violence of mind class coming up in Charleston, West Virginia, uh, this weekend and, uh, possibly another pistol class, uh, this year. I'll be also out at Alliance doing, uh, a low light class with Joe Wire as a student. Um, uh, so I'm looking forward to that and getting some trigger time without yelling at people. That's always fun. Uh, so just keep an eye out. I've got some things in the works. Uh, um, the idea of reopening the gym is starting to swirl a lot tighter now. So I think that's probably going to become a reality sooner than later. Uh, so I'm very stoked about that and looking forward to it. Outside of that, if you have any questions or comments, uh, just go ahead and drop me a line in Facebook or email or leave a comment on this page wherever you happen to find this on YouTube, iTunes, or Spreaker. And until next time, be safe.